Hello and welcome to Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. I'm Shelley Brisbane, your host. This is episode 17 for May 14th, 2019. Uh, today we're going to talk about iOS development with a couple of folks who have some pretty well-known apps in that community. And uh, they are Winston Chen and David Smith. Winston Chen is the author of Voice Stream Reader, the brand new Voice Stream Scanner, and uh, several other apps in the Voice Stream series. Hi, Winston. How are you? Good. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. I really appreciate it. And next up is David Smith, the author of Pedometer Plus Plus, Sleep Plus Plus, and the new and my favorite app name for 2019, Calzones. Hi, David. Hi, thank you for having me. David's also the host, uh, co-host of Under the Radar right here on Relay FM. You might have heard his show with Marco Arment, where he talks about development in uh, much more detail than we will here today because he has a show every uh, week. But uh, I wanted to have these guys on uh, because, first of all, they make great apps that I use and that a lot of people uh, use every day. Some happen to be users of accessibility tools, some don't. But uh, they're also the people who clearly had a vision for the kind of apps they wanted to make. And so I was really interested in kind of how these guys uh, do what they do. So, so let me start there. Um, Winston, tell us a little bit about your, your journey and how you became the voice stream guy. Um, well, that, that's, it's, it's a long story, um, but I'm going to give you the short version of that. Um, the short version of that is that I was in sort of startup land um, and uh, many years in, I decided I had enough and I took a year off uh, and my family and I lived uh, for a year in, uh, in in an Arctic island in Norway for uh, just wanted to take a year off. But during this year, I wrote an app uh, that eventually turned into voice stream reader. Um, and, and I did it not for any particular reason, just because I wanted to, Hey, I wanted to see what writing an app would be like. I've been out of the software development space for, for many years. Um, and, and then also I wrote enough for accessibility, not for the, the community that that's uh, behind the product right now. Uh, I wrote it kind of for myself to, to, uh, to, to get articles, that I always want to read, uh, read uh, aloud for me using text-to-speech. So I suppose um, like the key word is accidental. <laughs> so many ways about my, uh, you know, my, my life being an app developer ha- has, been, uh, has been accidental. So for folks who don't know, uh, tell us a little bit about VoiceStream Reader, what it does. So you say it's, it's so it read art, reads articles via text-to-speech, and it, it does so in a couple of pretty clever ways, I think. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, the, 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 the a couple of core things about text-to-speech. And the text-to-speech engines are available on mobile, lots of mobile devices. Uh, it's been around for a long time. Um, but, but a few things that I, I focused on, one is the ability to ingest lots of, lots of, lots of different content. Um, that ranges from web pages to ebooks to you know PDF documents, Word documents, and so on. Whatever that's got text in it, um, I, I wanted to make a product that can ingest that. Um, and, and the second thing is on its, on its way out, um, I wanted to give people a lot of control over how the textual content is presented, both both visually and auditorily. And the combination of the two. Um, I guess one of the one of the key learnings in my journey to, to developing this app is is that the people have very different preferences when it comes to reading. Some people like to read uh, just with sound. Some people like to combine sound and, and visuals. Some people have very peculiar requirements. You know, sort of the optimal requirements to 
to get the best reading experience. Um, so, so the so the app in a mobile environment provides a lot of dials and controls, so that you can tweak everything exactly to the way you like. Um, and and of course the 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 product is you know made a great deal of effort to to work not just with voiceover but optimize for for voiceover so that it's sort of voiceover users is not sort of a is a first class citizen if you will um in, in in the user community were you really surprised that it was adopted by the community or was it clear to you that that was going to happen because your app doesn't even require voiceover since you're using speech independently of voiceover yeah you know when i when i first wrote the app and it got it out in the app store i i remember clearly this um uh, a French gentleman who's visually impaired wrote me and he says, I think your app is pretty good, but like, boy, you, you got to label these buttons. Um, and, and, and I, I, I didn't even know what voiceover was. Um, so, so this is the, you know, the you know, point, uh, you know, exhibit number, number, you know, 500 of, of, of the accidental nature of this. Um, so I, I proceeded to work with this gentleman and say, okay, now tell me about it. So what, what, what would be good? I explored how voiceover works. You know, I, I closed my eyes to try to use the app and see if I could. Um, so eventually the, the app, um, got, got well received by the, by, by this community. It, it very much did. And I want to get back to that uh, a little bit later, but I want to bring David in. And David, tell me about your, your journey, uh, your apps. A lot of them are in the sort of health and fitness space. And now you have a, a calendar app. But is, uh, how did you, you get started? And is there sort of an overall uh, oeuvre to the apps that you make? Sure. So I've been uh, making apps for almost 11 years now, I think. So essentially since the App Store first launched um, you know, more than a decade ago. And I've made apps in every, almost every genre other than games. And I made a few games probably, but just like not very well um, over that over that course of time. And I've made, yeah, it's like I'm, my most successful apps right now um, tend to be in the health and fitness space. I just launched a calendar app, House of Audiobook app and Recipe Organizer, RSS Reader. Like, you know, my experience is one of kind of just like I've tried lots of things and I made lots of apps over the, you know, over, over the, the last decade um, and just sort of trying to find, you know, f- just find opportunities, find things where, you know, I can make an app that's useful and interesting for people. I'd like to hear from from both of you guys about uh, your experience developing specifically for iOS. We know that Apple has guidelines and all sorts of information to help developers do what they do. But I guess I wonder, uh, especially if you've developed in other environments, what what you feel the experience of developing for iOS is like. Do you have the tools that you need? Do you find that you are uh, going out on your own to, to figure things out? Or does Apple guide you in the way that you would wish to be guided, I guess, would be my question. I mean, my, um, you know, voice stream reader also, uh, I, 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 I hired a, a developer, an Android developer to, to, uh, to deport it to, to Android. So I have a little bit of experience with at least, you know, the, the iOS and, and, and Android platform. Um, you know, my experience is, is that the, you know, the tools and the SDKs on the iOS side are just so much richer um, than the uh, the calendar and their counterparts uh, on Android, um, and, and also there's just a lot more resources, um, um, things that you know. Remember, I remember earlier on, you know, I was. I was um, trying to find this um, ability to take a piece of text and identify what language it is. 
Um, and, and that was really easy on iOS because there's an API, there's a built-in API just for that, and not uh, on an Android we couldn't do it. Um, so um, in that regard, I'm just because it's you know Coco has been around for a while, and and, and you know it's uh, it's got a, a long deep history uh, behind it. Um, and as far as you know, getting working with Apple uh, in in the App Store. You know, I, I find that that um, you know, despite the occasional sort of bureaucratic hiccups, you know, you, you you have, you know, you have people who are reading the rules and interpreting the rules in different ways. Sometimes your app gets rejected for you know very esoteric reasons, but by and large, Apple has been an incredibly helpful partner uh, in in all of this. I, I think they they come from the right. Um, I think they're motivated by the right things. Yeah, and I'd say too, I think they have a good. I like that Apple, I think, has a very clear vision for what they what they consider a good app to be and what it would look like and how it would respond and how it would act. And that's all very well sort of documented. And at WDC every year, they emphasize that sort of that, that experience. And I think that has, I, I've done a little bit of development on other platforms, but my primary experience is on iOS. And I think it's just a helpful thing that they're building a platform with a clear vision in mind for, you know, sort of how things work. And that goes both on the, to sort of to the higher level things, as well as, you know, sort of deep down in very, low-level coding things like there's sort of a nice cohesiveness to it um, that i quite like and i find that if you work sort of work in a in you know sort of going along with the way in which they want things to go and where they're kind of telegraphing that things are heading um you know things are become much easier for you and work you know work well like you can kind of fight against it if you want but it's much more successful and much easier if you just continue sort of continue down kind of where apple is leading and you're working specifically with uh tools like the built-in health uh stuff that apple has does that either constrain you or free i mean are there things that you want to do that you can't do or that that those APIs make it possible that you might have not have thought of? What's it like to sort of work down integrating directly with what they've done in the, the health? Yeah, I mean, I think so on the health side, there's a lot of, it's tremendously capable as yeah, a set of APIs that they are, they provide, and they, the nice thing with a lot, most of it is that, you know, especially on the Apple Watch, they're doing most of the heavy lifting in terms of data collection, data analysis, aggregation, syncing, all of the really kind of like the fundamental hard problems. Um, they do a lot of that work for us. Like I'm not have sitting there reading, you know, uh, accelerometer readings on the Apple Watch to work out how many times you took a step. Like they're doing all of that type of work for me. Um, and then I'm just sort of pulling it in at a much higher level. I mean, I think for the for the most part, I've been very happy with um, you know sort of the way they do that, and I think it's nice that um, health, especially, seems like a emphasis area within Apple that it's something that they you know they're internally pushing very hard, and so those APIs get a lot of attention every year. They get better, um, you know, every sort of every year. There's been marked improvement and if i have frustrations or problems it tends seems like it's the kind of area where you know apple wants it to get better and wants it to get used and so there's you know there's attention and response to that as as a result for your calendaring app did you have to jump into different apis how much integration do you have to do with the, the high, behind the scenes stuff for um, that app so, so I, I actually in a nice way apple does the the same thing on for calendaring on ios apps so calendaring is all done like i don't need to deal i don't need to know anything about you know the accounts that are associated with the users you know and deal with their passwords anything like that i just you know once a user says they i have permission to access their you know their calendar events they all just appear in the same way that sort of in the same way with health you have to give 
authorization for access and then all the rest of it is kind of handled by Apple. So it's a it's a really rich set of APIs as as a result. For for me, I can just focus on, you know, trying to make my ass things that are unique about my app. I can focus on those things rather than like the kind of the boring low level things about how to, you know, send a new event back to Gmail or whatever it would be. Both of you guys have apps that are accidentally or and or on purpose uh, very much very accessible and have good reputations in the community of voiceover users, particularly for that. And Winston talked a little bit about that. But I'm wondering how intentional that was and how helpful you think the uh, guidelines that, that Apple provides are. And do, do they lead developers in the right direction or do you actually have to be really motivated to create accessibility to, to make it happen? So, I mean, I think Apple does a very good job of promoting accessibility as something that they consider to be an important part of like making an app complete. And I think that is, you know, I've been going this year will be, I think, my 10th WBDC, and it is always something that they talk about. It's sort of in the same way that when they're like they're selling an iPhone, they always have that environmental consciousness slide that talks about, you know, all the things that aren't in their phones. Like it's a constant thing that they talk about that accessibility is, you know, is part of what makes um and I'm complete. And I think that in helps a make sort of there's a culture of awareness about accessibility um, where I feel like I've been talking to lots of developers about accessibility over the years. I feel like there is a point where um, early in a lot of developers careers, they're just not really aware of it. It's not that there's a intentional neglect or a choice to not make things accessible. Uh, it's more of a it isn't something that, you know, that in in the busyness and the focus on just building the app in the first place, that it is just not necessarily something that comes up that in their mind when they're designing things, they t- you know, you, you, it's so you uh, the obvious place to focus is on, you know, the sort of the, the core visual experience of the app, which is an important part of the app and is probably the way many of your users will experience it. But then, you know, the access, more accessible sides of that um, can just be kind of, you're just unaware of them. And I think Apple does a good job of communicating that this is an important thing, which is then helps it to become, you know, sort of part of the workflow and part of um, kind of the, you know, it, it may, makes it something that's, that's easy to, you know, to get to give attention to. And, um, you know, there's good tooling for it, too, which is helpful that it's not like that they're asking this massive burden to take on. But they're, I think the biggest sort of benefit that Apple does, in, with, you know, especially with things like voiceover, is just bringing it up as it's something that's important so that you're aware of it. Um, and then, as, you know, if you dive into work, actually doing the work to do it, it's, you know, it's, it's much more straightforward. Yeah, I, I would add, I totally agree that, you know, Apple's really, you know, the Apple's promotion of, of accessibility has been just just spectacular. And, and you know, in the last couple of days, we're kind of, you know, almost it's weird seeing Google, you know, following Apple's footsteps in that direction, really emphasizing accessibility. Um, and I, I, as far as getting um, your, your, your app to be accessible, I, I found that... Um, the, to get you, to get your app to a basic usable level of accessibility um, is fairly easy. Um, the, the APIs are fairly straightforward. They're they're really quite helpful. Um, but I think you, there are certain things. There are still a lot of mysteries after working with uh, you know the accessibility API for so many years. There's still lots of things that go on that I don't really I don't really quite understand. Um, so, so if you want if you're if you have a very specific thing that you want to do with accessible with voiceover, like for example, like how do you get a piece of reading material? 
to recognize, you know, lines and sections and pages to be able to page up and page down and having that work well with, with a Braille display, you know, that's still a mystery to me. I think it sort of works and I don't know how I got it to work, but I feel like just don't, don't touch anything. <laughs> you know, it just kind of just works. Uh, I don't understand the innards. But is that trial and error? Do you have to, or is, is there even a place to go if you want to find out or do you just lay it on a beta tester and say, this is the thing I'm trying. How is it working? Um, there's a little bit of lots, lots of trial and error. Um, and, and, and I, I do have people inside Apple that I can reach out to, um, now and then as long as it's not too, too frequent. Um, if I have a very targeted question that, 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 that I need to ask. So voiceover, to my mind, is is even more straightforward than, say, something like making your app support the low vision settings or, or making it so that a low vision user could use an interface that is intended to be visual. And I, you know, tell me if I'm right or wrong about that, because my question, I'm, I'm a person who has low vision. And so I am looking at apps rather than listening to them most of the time, except with voice stream reader where I am listening to it. But, but both of you have done things in your apps that support different kinds of vision, whether it's magnification support or color schemes. And I, I guess I wonder how intentional that is and how you go about figuring out what you need to do for that market. For, for large text support, um, I, I think, you know, since I, I forget, since I said maybe two, two, three years ago when when iOS came out with these um, um, with with sort of system wide text size settings that are accessible by the apps, since, since that came out, um, it's that made it um, quite a bit easier to to uh, to make sure that your your app uh, works well um, with text that's larger and and and, and so on. Um, although from a, you know, user interface design standpoint, that does present some challenges because you don't know how big the text is going to be. Sometimes it could be enormous and sometimes it could be smaller. So there's also, I, I definitely struggled with that to, uh, to make sure the UI is usable, even when the text is like five times, it, it, you know, it's normal size. Yeah, and I'd say too with like a lot of the the low vision changes that you have yeah, like sort of the dynamic type system or in terms of colors and contrast and the things that you can sort of do there. Um, like what's what I found is interesting recently is how I think those are the areas that accessibility probably impacts a much broader uh, segment of my user base. Um, that I sort of just notice in terms of like, I think a much, you know, like my dad, you know, my dad uses my apps with dynamic type turned up. Like that's just, you know, that, that, that's the way his vision is and it's easier for him. And so it's a, it's a, you know, it affects lots of people with a variety of different reasons or people also, you know, I have people on the other side who like their text to be really small. Um, and what's kind of nice about, I think, dynamic type and those types of things, like those are features that I feel like are, they're easier to uh, feel motivated to work on because they affect like they make the app sort of better for everyone um, in a way that is feels less segmented off potentially than than something like voiceover which is a more specific modal kind of use case um, but the kind of the more just general like making things have good contrast making things you know having having an interface that can scale up and down uh, well like affects and is beneficial for everyone and I think that's you know it's, it's kind of nice about those and I think the more I've started to do those types of work um, the more I sort of feedback I get that you know like it's a, it's a much broad a fairly broad 
you know, percentage of users um, benefit from those, which is, you know, is a nice reinforcing cycle. And, you know, in the same way, it's like I've been working on a lot of color scheme stuff recently. And like some of the things, you know, dealing with colorblindness or color sensitivity or perception issues, um, you know, it's some like you can make a theme that is good for someone who has that. And the interesting thing I also, you often get is like that high sort of high contrast thing, uh, color scheme can often just, just be a good, you know, a nice pleasing interface for someone who has, you know, typical color perception. It can still just be a nice useful thing because it's high contrast. It's, you know, it's intentionally something that is trying to make it clearer visually. Um, even though it may not necessarily be, you know, the stand, the aesthetic choice you might take, it might be the more usable choice that you can take. So it's kind of nice where those things kind of work together to, um, you know, to apply to a much broader base of users. I to- 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 totally agree with that. I, I, am, I don't know when the movement toward sort of low contrast became fashionable. I, you know, I definitely buck against that trend. Um, you know, high, high contrast is good for everybody. David, I would guess that your apps are more dependent may not be the right word, but you're using color schemes themselves to transmit information. What, like yes. the Calzones app where you're, you have a grid and somebody who has color perception is going to say, oh, well, the yellow things mean this and the blue things mean this. So how do you think about it, if at all, when you're trying to account for a user that might be colorblind? color in general, I think is a hard design problem just because everyone's sort of the, the way we interpret them is somewhat unique for, for everyone. And like, I think I, I have sort of typical color perception, but, um, that isn't to say that necessarily, you know, like the way that it, the colors that are pleasing to me may not necessarily be the same for everyone. Um, something that I'd always try and do though, is it's like, if I'm tr- like a, there's sort of the, like the two things about color is like, if you try not to make color, the only thing that is containing the information that you're trying to, uh, convey, you know, that if, if you're relying entirely on color, then um, you're doing sort of sort of doing something wrong. And this is where you start to get into like tricky, like there was a period with iOS 7, I think it was, where we went, you know, we, we the, the removal of all the circles around buttons was a, was a big thing. And you were differenti- differentiating buttons versus text primarily just by um, that, you know, buttons, buttons were text with color versus without, which be, you know, is problematic if uh, you if you can't see that color or differentiate it as, as, as well. And so I think that that's something that I always try and keep in my mind is that color can be a nice bonus, like an add-on that you put on top of uh, of a design, but it should never be the the primary thing. And then I think beyond that, it's like I have I, I use a variety of tools that let me simulate how... Uh, an interface will appear for different uh, people with different color perceptions. You know, like I have, I use Xscope by the Icon Factory, which is a great tool for design where, you know, I can say like, I have this particular type of color perception or I have this kind, you know, all the different clinical names that I don't really know what they mean, but, and it'll change my interface to say, to show me what's different. And, you know, sometimes I'll put two colors there that uh, under typical you know, visual uh, color perception look fine and you're looking nicely differentiated and contrasty and I'll turn on a particular uh, form of color blindness and then all of a sudden like they look identical. Um, And so it's useful to kind of, that's my kind of my workflow now is whenever I'm choosing colors as I'm going through all of them kind of with those kinds of tools to make sure that I'm not making any assumptions that, you know, when some, when I just think of like, Oh, like red green is like probably the most common form of uh, color, color perception, different difficulty, 
like I shouldn't use those two colors next to each other, but, um, you know, it can be more subtle or more complicated, um, than just like, well, you know, it depends on what actual sort of tone of red and green you're using and so on. So it's good to sort of validate it with, uh, you know, with a, sim- with a simulation. Let me uh, pivot to WWDC, which is coming up. And I, I guess I wonder how you guys approach it. David, you said you go and I wonder, Winston, do you go? And, uh, if you do go, uh, what do you do? What do you need to get out of it for it to be successful? Uh, I, 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 I've been to WWDC twice. I went last year and the year before. This year, I, I didn't get uh, the, the lottery. It <laughs> didn't work out for me. So, so as of now, I'm, I'm not going. Um, and uh, I, I got a great WWDC story. Um, so this was, I think this was last year. Um, I, I had just um, released a, a, an update, and, um, and 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 there was um, a bunch of users in China. All of a sudden, started to 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 complain, um, and these are all sort of mostly voiceover users. Um, that um, when you load a really long text document, um, all of a sudden it just like you know freezes. Uh, nothing, you know, the whole interface is, you know, it's not not operable. You have to, to terminate the app and restart it. Um, and um, and then, like, I was there at WWC, so like, I was and I was able to reproduce the problem. But I but I know it's a voiceover bug. It's somewhere in voiceover accessibility API. That's like take, something is taking too long. And uh, so so I was I so I was able to sit with an engineer who. Who who did the the, the 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 widget that presents the text in in, in, in iOS, which is called the UI text view, and um, we dug deep into the the bowels of that <laughs> of that control, and um, we were able to find out what's going on with it, and uh, through a, a one single tweak, or you know what we will call it, we call it override. Um, I, I was able to, to 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 fix that problem. So, like, I guess that was, and, and that's something I would never have found if if I didn't sit down with the person who knows so much about uh, about that piece of, uh, of of iOS. So, I think WWC is great. I um, I, I hope uh, I, I hope I'll, I'll be able to to go uh, or, or some way to finagle a ticket this year. <laughs> that's a cool story. That's great. And I mean, yeah, I mean, I always love going to WWDC. I think it's a it's it's a great opportunity in a variety of of reasons. But I think largely it's there is what you were just talking about, Winston, where the, there's an access that you can that you get um, that can just be so helpful. And I think on the accessibility side, I think one thing that Apple does that I've, it's one of the highlights for me every year um, is they have what they call accessibility labs, which um, are Apple will bring in. Um, I think they're usually Apple employees, though sometimes I get the impression that they're just they're, they're just people who have specific needs um, that they'll bring in, and you can sit down for an hour with um, you know with the user. I think maybe it's thirty minutes, but anyway, you can sit down with the user, um, and they'll just use your app uh, in in VoiceOver or with you know a variety of di- like with Rotor set with the you know the Rotor different accessibility um, interface methods, and they'll give you feedback about things that are you know clear, things that aren't, um, and but even just beyond like their feedback directly there is something that's really um i think really helpful and powerful about watching a user you know like uh, last year i sat you know sat down for a while with a gentleman who was blind and he was using my apps and it was 
just fascinating to see how he interacts with it and the things that I'm doing right and the things that I'm doing wrong. Um, because as much as I can try and sort of guess and I make assumptions or kind of learn from experience from feedback I get from users, there is something different about having the interaction be, you know, immediate and in person. And, you know, every year I always just, I will always, you know, make appointments to go to the accessibility labs and just sit down and kind of have that experience, um, to, to see things. And I what I've learned so much about that is how, like Apple makes, you know, sort of like the basics of accessibility, I think are very, are very robust within, within iOS. It's something that they do a really good job um, of, of you know, they pr- clearly put a lot of effort into making sure that it's a, a robust set of experience and makes it, you know, puts a, a very light load on developers for making basic uh, accessibility support. But what's interesting is the next level beyond that of having like good voiceover support where you're not just, it's not just like that there are labels on every, all of your buttons that describe what it is. It's, you know, how are they physically structured and, you know, which one, which button do you go to from the last one when you are swiping through the interface and those kinds of differences that are hard for for me to guess about, even if I like use the app with my eyes closed with voiceover on, like I don't, you know, like the, the pacing, the pacing and the speed at which people can interact with it, who are, you know, vo- who are sort of voiceover users, you know, like it, it was amazing. Like he's just flying around the app. I feel it sounds like he's barely listening to things and the speed on, you know, he turns the speed up really high so that it's reading to him really quickly, but he, you know, totally got it and um, was going along. And there's a lot of these interesting tweaks where, you know, it's, even changing the labeling he was a lot of his suggestions were like put you know putting the most important part of the description of a button at the beginning even if it isn't grammatically um the most you know the sort of the 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 way you would write it if you were writing it into a term paper at school you know putting it so that it's he can hear what the important you know what what this button is going to do um immediately or if there's information structuring it so that it's like the most important part of the information uh, first, you know, like I have a step counter and it's whether, you know, like if I'm trying to, you know, it's like display the date, the step count, the floors climbed in the distance, like what order should those be in? And what I found really powerful is going to WDC and just being able to get, get that kind of feedback from someone who, um, you know, who lives with voiceover all the time or with all kinds of different other sort of, um, atypical user, sort of using, uh, users of the app. Um, it's just something that's really cool that Apple kind of makes this happen so that you can kind of experience what it's like in person, which otherwise most of my feedback is just, you know, from people who are emailing me or reaching out in other means, um, which is helpful and useful and I love, but it's, you know, it's not the same as right there in front of you. Well, and that's interesting too, because that's the part of WWDC and accessibility specifically, but I think it probably applies to the other labs that they do that you don't see from the outside. They, they live stream the panels that they, the, the uh, presentations they do about accessibility that make all that stuff available. But it, it seems to me that far more useful and interesting would be those lab situations. And you have to make time to do that amongst all the other, you're, you're working with Apple APIs. I'm sure you want to see what's going on in health and with calendaring and any of the other APIs and tools that you're using. Do you feel, I mean, you've obviously made a choice that that's a priority for you, but do you feel that you have enough time to see and do all the things that, that you want to do at WWDC? It's only a week. <laughs> sure. It's, 
I think something that I, I mean, I really appreciated when Apple started making the videos available for WWDC sessions, um, essentially in real time. Um, and, you know, like they're, I think they're usually available that evening or by early the next morning. Um, so I, at this point, I hardly ever go to, um, sessions other than the keynotes. Um, when I go to WDC, I spend as much time as I can in the labs because I find that that, that is like, that is the truly unique experience of going to WWDC that the sessions, the, like the difference between sitting in the room, streaming that at, or streaming that later in my hotel room, um, I'm getting exactly the same information. Like I want to, I keep up to date with the sessions while I'm there at WWDC, primarily so that I can go into the labs the next day and ask all the questions that I need to know, um, to, you know, about whatever was announced. But um, the labs are, I think, the experience that you have. It's like it's like my number one advice to anyone who's never been to WWDC and is going for the first time. It's like you need to go to the labs. Like it doesn't matter if you have a great question. You need don't need to feel like you know you have like this long list of really sophisticated nitty gritty like problems. It's like think of something that you think you could learn or do better or in the case of things like the accessibility labs like you don't need any agenda or a list it's just like if you have an app you go and show it to someone and they'll give you feedback and um, like making the time for that that's like the, the truly unique experience that you sort of you can't get anywhere else winston have you done the labs yeah yeah it's i mean that was um i, I think that the, the story that i just told that was that was from a lab and 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 I just saw off the top of my head the last two times I, I've been there, I, um, there were, you know, a bunch of other experiences very similar to that. Um, so so I took completely agree that the labs are are the places to be. Any, uh, we're probably going to see at WWDC announcements of uh, new operating systems all around, including iOS, including all the others. Do you either of you guys have any uh, wishes or, or hopes uh, for, for what we'd like, what you want to see? Um, I am I'm I'm really. Um, I guess I'm getting ready for dark mode. Um, and speaking of high contrast, um, you know, low vision, uh, I, I think that's going um, that, to that, that's going to be quite a big chunk of work for me because because in in both in all my apps, I'm already sort of supporting a a pseudo built-in dark mode. Um, so, uh, so so that so that's going to take. So I'm, I'm getting ready for that. Um, but the other thing that's that's really um, you know, I'm really curious about is, um, you know, getting this product called Project Marsupon, which is getting your iPad, iPhone, iOS apps to run on Macs. Um, I, I'm really curious to get my hands on that. Would you do a, uh, a Marsupan app? Uh, I mean, you've never really done any Mac apps, have you? The voice stream, they're all on iOS? Right, Android, right. Yeah, I would love to uh, to, to get the, particularly the, the reader and the writer um, to, uh, to to run on the Mac. In fact, the, 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 for, the, for the writer, the Mac is actually a much better uh, platform. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, the funny thing about Reader is that I, because when I'm surfing the web and I find articles that I want to send to VoiceStream, I'm often on a Mac and I send them to Pocket or Instapaper and then out to VoiceStream. And that's not, a, it's not difficult at all, but because VoiceStream just picks them up. But if I had them on, if I had it on the Mac, I'd probably just send it to VoiceStream directly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How about you, David? Anything WWDC that you're excited about or want to see? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm certainly interested in some, some of the Mac development stuff, but I think like for me and my focus is primarily on the Apple Watch and watch OS changes and I just I 
I'm always looking for them to continue to push that platform forward because it feels like it's the one that um, I can, it feels kind of like I'm developing back in iPhone OS two or three, like many, many years ago. Like it's very limited and very um, basic in what it can do and the things that the kinds of apps that are possible and the kind of customizations that are possible. Um, and it's something that I just hope they continue to push forward um, and kind of allow us to do more that there's you know, I mean sort of relevant for what we we're just talking about like like in order to make a nice accessible interface on the watch it's you know, it's you ha- you're, you're severely limited in the kinds of interact in the kind of sort of views and the structure of your design that you can do um, to accomplish that that there's you know if you there are ways to make really much more dynamic and interactive uh, watch apps but if you do that accessibility suddenly becomes incredibly difficult and I kind of wish they would you know I look forward to when they can kind of bridge that gap where you can make an interface that um, is more rich and dynamic but also doesn't let you have to kind of leave leave a, a variety of other sort of the benefits uh, behind as a result. And I think I know the answers to this, but you're you're focused on the watch app because obviously health is a big part of the watch. Or do you, uh, or do you choose it for other reasons, or is that the main reason that the watch is so important to what you do? I mean, I think the, 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 yeah, it's like it's certainly for all of my health and fitness related things. Um, it, it's an important platform, and it's also just it's an platform that I I like work I like working on. I like the it's it's a platform that's kind of I since, since it first came out, it's like I was like I, it made sense to me, and it was something that seemed like it feels like it's developed for the future um, in a way that um, I find compelling. And then certainly, you know, doing health and fitness stuff, it's right at the forefront of that. And the things that are possible with an Apple Watch are just really... It's, it's, it's really cool and it's 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 the kind of development that is very rewarding um beyond just sort of the typical kinds of you know more monetary or those types of rewards where you you know hear from people who if you do health and fitness related work you know you the stories you hear are people who are you know like phys- physically transforming their lives by you know something you can do that can motivate them or encourage them or give them better feedback you know that they're moving from you know moving from illness into into health and like that is a like a powerful just like a wonderful thing and um, is, you know, is a tremendous encouragement to me as I'm working to kind of have that in the back of my mind that, you know, what I'm making can sometimes, you know, for some people it can be really transformative to them. And like, that's, you know, those are the best emails that I always love to get when I kind of hear those kind of stories from users, which makes me just want to keep making more and more of apps uh, on the watch and, you know, in the kind of health and fitness space. So speaking of that, and you uh, may or may not feel feel comfortable answering, but I'll just ask, are there any projects you're working on, any new apps you hope to release uh, anytime soon for either of you? And I know you both have relatively new apps out there, so sure. <laughs> if the answer is no, that's fine too. Um, not really. So for me, it's like this time of year, is I'm just trying to get everything uh, neat and tidy as best I can because, you know, WDC is just like three or four weeks away now. And um, my goal is to get all my current apps like just as bug free as I can make them, as everything, get everything buttoned down. And then it's kind of that wild thing of going in on Monday morning to WDC and just like seeing what my rest of my summer and rest of my year is going to look like. Um, so at this point, it's very much just trying to get everything buttoned down and then, you know, in September, there might be a whole bunch of new apps depending on what's announced. Yeah, I, I, I mean, this is the after WWDC usually that, yeah, that, that does for, I think for most of us, that kind of dictates how you spend your time from, you know, the summer probably into early fall, right? Um, I remember last year um, as, um, because Apple made um, an audio uh, available on the Apple Watch available as, as a background service. 
um, I was able to to build a uh, an Apple Watch um, a companion for my reading app. Um, so, so I said, Shelley, that 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 would not have been possible had there not been the you know new 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 version of of, of Watch OS that which was announced last year. Um, and same goes with um, Siri shortcuts, right? I spent a bunch of times uh, working on that. Again, all that is a direct result of what was announced in uh, in WWDC. Very cool. Well, uh, now it is time for the uh, one more thing question where we depart a little bit from the main topic of the show. And I'm just curious, is there an app that as a user you're particularly uh, enjoying that you think is great right now? It could be game, productivity, just anything on your phone that you that you like? Sure. So the thing that I most recently discovered, because she only came out uh, earlier this week, is an app called Downlink for the Mac, um, which uh, just dynamically updates the your desktop wallpaper to be a live picture of the Earth from space. Um, so Ooh, it, fun. So it changes, it uses the, the Geos um, satellite inf- satellite images. And so they essentially, you know, it's like it's, but it's the actual, this is what Earth looks like from space right now. Um, and it's just really cool to just have it update throughout the day. I can see the shadow of the, you know, it's like this, this, this shadow is slowly moving across the Earth. And um, it's just kind of a cool little utility that um, I, you know, I, it's like as soon as I saw it, it's like, yep, that just sounds fun. Like I always kind of, and it's, you know, it has a, it's just, a nice little fun little thing that I can just have and run. And the fewer, th- you know, the two or three times I see my desktop um, during the day, it just keeps putting a smile on my face. <laughs> um, I, I love, I love uh, listening to podcasts uh, with just my Apple watch. I, I think that is like the coolest thing. Um, uh, it totally changed my workout. Um, so, so that's one thing. I know it's not a sort of third-party app. That's an Apple app, um, but it's it's wonderful. Very cool. Stay informed while you're staying healthy. That's what we want. Um, well, uh, thanks so much to Winston Chen and David Smith for coming on the show. If you haven't tried any of their apps, I recommend that you do because they make good stuff. I use stuff that both of you guys do. So thank you for that as a user. Uh, let me give you a chance to plug uh, whatever you are doing that you, on, the, uh, on the Internet. Tell people where they can find you, uh, David. Uh, sure. So uh, if you, most of my apps, if you went to david-smith.org slash apps, you can find all of the various things that I've done there. And um, if you want a bit more of the technical side of iOS development, uh, relay.fm slash radar is under the radar, which is the, the show I do every other week with Marco Arment, just talking about what it's like to be an independent iOS app developer. And the thing that you guys do that I love is that you have a time limit. It sure. is my favorite thing about a podcast. <laughs> yeah, never longer than 30 minutes. I like it. It's baked into the motto of the show. Uh, Winston, where can people find you online? And what do you what are you up to that you want to tell people about? Um, in fact, just before I got on this, I was I was I was making my new website. Um, that's the life of an independent app developer. You uh, you got to do everything. Um, so the so the website actually is pretty outdated. Um, the, the the best way to find my stuff is just go to the app store um, and, and search for Voice Dream. Um, my new product is a is a scanning app. I know it's a crowded field, um, but what's different now is um, I mean the the big theme as we heard on on Google I/O as well, and and Apple has done this as well is on device AI, um, and and that's going to change. Uh, it's going to make some a lot of some changes to a lot of apps, uh, how they work. And, and I, I guess I, I saw there is a space to uh, to really take advantage of all this on device AI uh, that's possible really in the last year um, to make a, a truly great uh, scanner that, that does OCR really well. 
And your app has been getting a lot of buzz in the uh, disability community, too. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, Somebody you know, actually <laughs> used the word KNFB reader killer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's, just, it's, a, it's a whole it's a new generation of technology, right? Just to, to, to be fair. Very cool. Well, uh, if you would like to join us for this podcast, you can find us at relay.fm slash parallel, where we'll have links to everything you heard about today on the show. You can follow the show at Parallel Pods on Twitter. You can follow me personally at Shelly. I'm always happy to take your guest and topic suggestions over there. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Until then, thanks so much to Winston Chan and David Smith for being my guests. Bye for now.